Welcome to TalentWise, the definitive podcast for CXOs, human resource and learning and development leaders. This show comes to you from thought leaders who talk about human capital development in today's organization. How to engage and empower today's employee to be effective, competitive and relevant. Stay with us for an exciting conversation with our guest and learn how to future-proof your team. I'm your host Shubhanjan, founder of Knowledge Bridge. Our guest today is Abhijit Bhaduri, founder Abhijit Bhaduri and Associates. So I think the style of leadership has evolved a lot thanks to the media and with everybody having a cell phone, you know, everyone is actually a broadcaster. So the role of the leader, you know, one of the variables that people never had to think about was uh, the media because your communication was really very, very sanitized. It, you were communicating largely internally to the uh, employees. And you sort of, you know, it was episodic. You would connect with them periodically and you sort of, it was one-sided, maybe, you know, the odd question-answer kind of a session and you were done. Uh, and periodically, every quarter, if you're a listed company, you stepped out and spoke to the analysts and you sort of managed that conversation. But today, you know, again, everything has moved from being episodic to being real time. And therefore, you know, uh, whether it's a customer who can sort of really put a question to you on social media or you have an employee who might uh, pose a question to you, which is uncomfortable, whether it's on uh, a social site or any of these job sites. So the ability to do social listening, stay relevant, understand what is happening and be Comfortable saying, I don't know. Today, when you are responding in real time and authenticity matters a whole lot, then I think it's expected that if you really don't know the answer, you would say so and then get back. Abhijit has led teams for Microsoft, Colgate and PepsiCo across different countries in the world. For seven years, he was the chief learning officer of Wipro, a $7 billion firm with more than 175,000 employees of more than 90 nationalities across 54 countries. He has written two bestsellers, The Digital Tsunami and Don't Hire the Best. LinkedIn voted him as a must-know writer. Forbes calls him one of the most interesting globalists. Abhijit was voted as one of the top 10 learning professionals in the world and the number one in Asia. Now, on to this great episode of TalentWise with Abhijit Bhaduri. Abhijit, welcome to TalentWise. I'm delighted to have you here. I've been chasing you for a few months and I'm glad I could have you participate in the first season. Thank you very much for having me. It's my privilege to be on your show. Thank you. As you know, we are talking about future-proofing the team and the context is that a lot of what we do in terms of human resource management, I mean, human resource as a concept is sort of an industrial legacy, according to me. And we are moving away from that into a knowledge creative economy. From your vantage point and with this deep experience that you have had in large organizations and now with your own uh, consultancy, what do you see are the issues that we are facing in terms of future-proofing the team and where do you see the industry going? So I think one of the major pieces that uh, is happening in the digital world is that, you know, you're looking at uh, uh, this whole notion of skill building has been something 
which we are moving away from pretty much a three-level structure. You know, you learn, then you earn, and you retire. So pretty much if you divide your work, uh, your life into three uh, segments, your first segment is your sort of really first 20 odd years, you're, you're learning stuff. You go to college or education or whatever, and then you start earning. You earn for the next 20, 30 years. And then after that, you know, you're looking to retire and sort of, you know, eventually fade out. What's interesting is that what you learned earlier and what you got credentialed in is good enough to last you. At least it used to be good enough to last you, um, you know, for a very long time. Now, actually, what has happened uh, has been that uh, you can no longer actually continue with the same credentials and you go through. This is, you know, earlier it used to be that the half-life of your skills used to be five years, which is that every five years you needed to upgrade yourself. Now it has become two or three years, you know, depending on which skill we are talking about. And we are getting into a place where, uh, you know, the nature of the skills is going to be different. I mean, of course, you will need your usual domain skills. You will need, um, uh, you know, to, to be continuously reinventing yourself there because work is getting reinvented because of artificial intelligence and all those capabilities. But I think what is also happening is twofold. One is people are living longer, so they will need to sustain themselves financially for a much longer span of time, which means you need to be relevant for a very long span of time. So, you know, the notion of skill is not just really around, um, you know, finding some kind of work to do, but skill is also, you know, something that's going to give us identity and it's something that uh, we are looking to, uh, you know, keep us going for a, a much longer span of time. So I think the way you are looking at skilling up a team uh, has to be thought of by a completely different model. And it is not something that you can leave to, let us say, just the uh, learning and development team. Because, you know, like everything else in the analog world, the digital world has uh, sort of shifted all of that from whether it's a business model or a talent model or leadership style, or and certainly, you know, the digital culture, all, all these elements are completely different. And what worked in the uh, analog world actually is a disadvantage in this world. So that is really a shift of the way that you're looking at it in your head. And it's really a battle is in the internal world that we are looking at. So, so that brings me to that first point you were mentioning, uh, so there are these few things which are the manifestation of this shift that you are talking. And the first one you mentioned was hyperconnectivity. Yeah, uh, hyperconnectivity actually, uh, you know, changes um, who does the work for you. You know, uh, today you can sit anywhere, uh, you know, in any part of the world and actually you can do the work. But what it also means is that, um, you know, as individuals, you are actually competing uh, with individuals all over the world, which is, uh, you know, individuals are competing with all these 7 billion people, or at least the people, the uh, you know, the 5 billion people who are online in some shape or form. Uh, so you're actually competing with everyone because, you know, there's so many sites which can offer to do exactly what you do, regardless of the profession, whether it's lawyer, doctor, consultant, you name it, coder, all of them. Uh, you know, there are sites where some gig worker is actually ready to do it at a cheaper price somewhere else in the world. So, you know, it is really going to be not about, um, you know, doing something cheaper, but it's going to be about adding value, you know, doing it in a manner which is uh, value added. So that's one part of it. 
Also, interestingly, the other feature of competition is that individuals have historically only competed with, um, uh, you know, they've competed with individuals, other individuals. And by and large, it used to be that you competed with your colleagues inside the organization, your peer group. Today, uh, you know, whether it's a business where you don't compete with a peer group, I mean, um, you know, auto manufacturers, which are really finding uh, the going really tough right now, are competing with, um, you know, an organization like Dyson, which used to make vacuum cleaners. That's what they were best known for. And they are now making electric vehicles. And so the nature of competition is not going to come from your peer group. In the same way for an individual, the competition is not going to come from the peer group. It is going to come from somebody entirely different. And it could be an individual who's anywhere in the world, or it could be organizations. There are these small groups of organizations, large, uh, you know, the big four. Everyone competes for the same kind of job. So it's no longer that, you know, if you're a, a one-person player, you do, uh, you know, a certain kind of job, you do uh, the odd job here and there. There are experts who actually do exactly the same kind of work that a large uh, consulting firm can offer. And, you know, uh, so the models of competition, even for individuals, has changed. And that's, a, uh, that's probably the first time in human history that that's happened. That is also making it difficult for the buying organization, right? So the, the organization which is looking for, for example, your expertise right. can also get that same expertise, say, from a big four. Yeah. So for them, the challenge is also multifold, right? Should they come to you or should they go to them? And what, what do you see happening there? So it is going to be, you know, uh, I think the importance of the brand becomes very important if the... Um, if the individual has to compete with a larger organization, you know, the larger organizations spend so much of time and energy in their marketing uh, team. Uh, you know, they are creating the brand persona and all of that. Whereas, you know, most individuals really do not put that kind of a sustained effort, I would say, in building their brand. So, uh, you know, for the individual, the reputation, if, you know, many people have an adverse reaction to the word personal brand, but I would say that, you know, think about it as your reputation. That really becomes really significant. It's not what you say. It's what the others say about you. I think the, when uh, you have abundance of choice, and in this case, uh, the buyer really has to rely on the reputation of the individual right. or the brand of the uh, organization. And both become very significant. And in the process, when you have several competing brands, you actually begin to see the rise of influencers, people who can, uh, you know, help you make sense of the choices. So the importance of influencers actually making those kind of choices for the buyer is going to increase a lot. And the influencer's role is going to become more and more central. So today, again, you see there are, you know, in many of these mergers and acquisitions, you actually see that there are advisors. You know, there are these well-known firms which become advisors and they sort of broker the deal. Uh, that is actually going to happen uh, much more in all kinds of work at all levels of work. So I would see that, you know, the role of the influencer is going to become very significant. Yeah, and, and that also brings to the other side, you know, this whole rise of influencers were because of the democratization of media, right? So, sure. so that also 
the ability to build a personal brand uh, was never as feasible as it is today. Uh, that's also part of this the same shift. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we will hear Abhijit's view on how the ability to build the personal brand, the rise of the influencers through democratization of media indicates a major shift. You are listening to a show how to audio original. Podcasting is one of the fastest growing content marketing avenues today. We can help you exploit this largely untapped marketing opportunity. We can craft your audio strategy and leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that smartphone penetration provides. It is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to target audiences. Welcome back. Before the break, I asked Abhijit how the rise of the influencers and the ability to build a personal brand signals a major shift. Let's listen in. I fully agree with you. I mean, you know, the, uh, you know, the whole notion of the role of the leader, you know, one of the variables that people never had to think about was uh, the media, which was there, you know, the, because your communication was really very, very sanitized. It, you were communicating largely internally to the uh, employees. And you sort of, you know, it was episodic. You would connect with them periodically and you sort of, it was one-sided, maybe, you know, the odd question-answer kind of a session and you were done. Uh, and periodically, every quarter, if you're a listed company, you stepped out and spoke to the analysts and you sort of managed that conversation. But today, you know, again, everything has moved from being episodic to being real-time. And therefore, you know, uh, whether it's a customer who can sort of really put a question to you on social media or you have an employee who might uh, pose a question to you which is uncomfortable whether it's on uh, a social site or any of these job sites it can be on linkedin it can be on many of these places so really the ability to stay tuned so the ability to do social listening stay relevant understand what is happening and be comfortable saying i don't know which you know in the past the leader is never uh, you know, rarely had to say, I really don't know, because there was enough time for them to do the homework and sort of do this. But today, when you are responding in real time and authenticity matters a whole lot, then I think it's expected that if you really don't know the answer, you would say so and then get back. So I think the style of leadership has evolved a lot thanks to the media. And with everybody having a cell phone, you know, everyone is actually a broadcaster. So you know, it's the same thing that which I mentioned earlier. You compete with for attention from the best uh, news producers of the world. So an individual competes with a CNN or BBC or Al Jazeera, whatever you listen to. So that is a real huge shift and it's an opportunity. So you get lots of, you know, alternative views and voices. But at the same time, you know, your credibility becomes that much more important. So the pattern is really the same. So that brings us to the gig economy, right? Mm-hmm. So these individuals, rise of the individuals and sort of decentralization of individuals, the fact that uh, hyper-connectivity allowed people to work from anywhere, which means now you have a remote distributed team uh, and, and the associated challenges and uh, positives also gave rise to this whole new gig workforce. How do you see that impacting uh, the the future of uh, the individual uh, as a as a part of the workforce 
So I think I'd sort of uh, take a step back and say what it means to the uh, organizations is that a lot of the talent that you are looking at uh, is not necessarily on your role. So I think um, that's an area where people will need to sort of build their skills. How do you work with people who are sort of doing the work remotely? You can't monitor them. You can't manage them. Uh, you know, it's a loss of control for the organization. It's a loss of control for the buyer. You know, once you decide to hand over the work, you know, you really uh, give up control over that uh, and you can't really monitor. So the way of managing performance, you know, it's a it's a new skill which is going to be um, become very important. And whether it is your own workforce, which is going to work because of flexible working timings and opportunities and work from home and remote working and all of that. And on the other hand, you will have the rise of many new categories of uh, people. You know, you have the digital nomads. I mean, uh, in the more recent times, I have written about, you know, the digital nomads and the way they are working, uh, real-time cases. And, you know, uh, there are enough organizations, the largest organizations are working with them. And so, therefore, that is a new category. The way millennials work, the way Generation Z works, all of that is going to be completely different. So, there are many new categories. They work at different times. They work in different places. They work in different ways. And just because they are connected, it is possible to take work from all these people and stitch it together. So, it is pretty much like, you know, what people do in movie making, they take different scenes that they have shot in different places. One could be the scene in an uh, indoor setting. The other could be an outdoor setting. And the third one could be underwater. You actually, for the purpose of the narration, you actually take all these three uh, um, you know, pieces of film and piece it together for the common narrative. I think the role of the organization is going to be to build the narrative. Uh, and the providers will be shooting the different scenes in different places. So that is going to be a very interesting model for work. And I think this is still evolving, but our benchmarks will change. And benchmarks are no longer going to be um, other organizations. You know, So it's not going to be uh, the organizations that we are used to benchmarking and saying that, okay, I'm from this particular industry, so I will benchmark another competing uh, peer. But you will probably start benchmarking the creative fields. And uh, that's something that I see happening that, you know, most creative roles are all gig roles. So there is a very large segment of the world which does work in gigs and historically has worked on gigs. So it's uh, it's only that now that this term is coming into vogue, but, you know, most creative fields have uh, lived and worked with gig workers always. Yeah, so it was not uh, sort of at scale, I guess that's the difference. And and the other thing that I think is making the difference is the the millennials in the workforce because their attitude towards work is significantly different from uh, say our generation or or even even Generation Z because these guys are not interested in long term loyalty kind of scenarios they are not interested in ownership so their need for money is is different. So, so they are dictating a lot of these changes and, and the rapidity of the shift, uh, I guess. Yes, of course. You know, uh, I think, first of all, you see everywhere, uh, you know, the worker is becoming a lot more important. And as the nature of the work becomes more skewed towards, uh, you know, uh, creative work, you will see more and more that the 
tilt is going to be in favor of the worker. Um, you know, to, we have seen that for the biggest of the firms, whether it is, you know, Facebook or Google or Microsoft and all of that, um, you know, the workers have actually, uh, you know, walked out in protest when they have disagreed with a policy or they're sort of forcing them to give up or accept a particular kind of a contract. So those kind of things are already happening. Uh, but I also agree that, you know, when you suddenly have people who are not looking to build your build a career with you, I mean, their notion is uh, of work is really a lot more, um, you know, episodic. The, the terms that they are looking at is far shorter. And they are looking at a variety of experiences. And if you can't provide that, um, you know, they will look elsewhere. And I think what has really made that happen is in the previous, uh, uh, you know, couple of years, employers, while they have talked about, uh, you know, the need for engaging the workforce, but yet when there is a business uh, downturn and sometimes, you know, inevitably they've had to let go of people and sort of in some sense it has broken that contract, which is an emotional contract that, you know, uh, it used to be pretty much, uh, that, you know, the unless the employee decided to quit, and by and large, you know, unless you are a poor performer, most organizations would, you know, try uh, to retain the people. But now it is, you know, a lot more about performance. It's a lot more transactional. You don't sort of perform for a couple of quarters and, you know, the company lets you go. But more importantly, the unpredictability of the business downturns and then suddenly, you know, uh, people are letting go of large workforces. You see what's happening in the automobile industry right now or many of the other sectors, whether it's telecom or anything else. The pattern is the same. So, you know, if there is no trust, engagement is going to be harder and the nature of the uh, you know equation is going to be very transactional. So I think that is a very significant shift in terms of managing somebody who's Equation with you is really transactional. Uh, it's really going to be a lot like what you see with, uh, you know, the ride-sharing driver. Um, people are nice, uh, you know, in that short equation uh, because, you know, both people rate each other. But it's a very uh, short kind of a interaction. So there are many different shifts in the equation between, uh, you know, the employer and the employee. And in many ways, in which rewards, recognition, and the whole HR processes will need to get uh, reimagined because of the shift that we see. Okay, so I, you, you mentioned this, uh, that HR has fundamentally changed. And one of the thoughts that I have uh, while, while I have been doing these uh, discussions is that, should you at all call it HR anymore? Uh, does it make sense? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, you know, in many, many fields, when you sort of really drive a change at some point of time, you start sometimes by changing the title, you know, at a point of time, HR itself, you sort of look at the change, uh, you know, at one point of time, it was called, you know, the person, we had one person who managed the payroll and it was called the welfare officer. And, you know, if you look at the origins before the Factories Act at least came into place in uh, India, if you sort of look at that. And then after that, there was this whole thing of personal manager. Uh, that was the real term that was used because they were personnel and you manage them. And then this whole thing of, uh, you know, working on the human resource uh, side of it and the whole view was human being is a resource and why not, you know, treat them like that. And then there was another shift which said that, 
you know, resource is a very transactional flavor and, you know, land is a resource, money is a resource, human being is not a resource and you're looking at talent. So there was talent management. Um, so things will evolve, you know, regardless of what uh, the designation or terminology is there. Some Somebody will come up with a field and there are already companies which call it many different things. I mean, you have chief happiness officer, you have chief uh, empathy officer, all kinds of terms. And, you know, while, uh, you know, the way things change in the world of work is that a lot of change happens outside of organizations and it happens in a manner which is closer to play rather than to serious work. So, you know, you will see even the way a lot of AR, VR technology evolved was that you created games and little things that people played with on their mobile. And suddenly you see that uh, that has taught people how to use AR for solving real world business problems. So the model is the same. I mean, today you might laugh at somebody's designation and say, okay, that's just a fanciful designation. But at some point of time, it it is probably going to be, uh, you know, indicative of the shift that will happen. Uh, and we have to sort of wait and see. And I don't think we have to wait too long because the focus on what people are looking at is less about productivity. It's going to be more about innovation. It's going to be more about creativity and finding that. So, yes, I mean, you know, ideas travel faster than reality. So there will be a lag time. There will be a time when, you know, people will say, okay, it's just a fancy designation. Nothing has changed. But, you know, this is precisely where change happens because the person with that new role sometimes has a new canvas with which to reimagine the role. And then, you know, things change. So I am very hopeful that it is going to evolve uh, to something which is potentially going to look at something different. Can you share any example where you see organization focused on their their people and ensuring that they have put systems or processes or uh, plans in place to A, keep them relevant for the future uh, and thereby keeping the organization itself relevant uh, for the future? I have, uh, you know, in the more recent times in India, I've uh, been very impressed with the work that has been done by Genpact. Uh, they've really figured out a way to do, uh, you know, the reskilling of a very, very large global workforce of 90,000 people. And the way they've done it has, has been fairly unique. Now, how successful they are and, you know, the impact of, of this kind of continuous shift uh, on the workforce uh, has to be seen. But I definitely think that, uh, you know, they've made the attempt to create something which is, uh, you know, not cut and paste from somewhere. They've actually leveraged existing, uh, you know, experts. They've created their systems. They've got an algorithm to sort out the network, uh, identify the experts who are there and use those experts to create content which supplements what they have already on many of these learning platforms. It's a really, really interesting case study. I'm actually writing about it. And I think it's a lovely example for people to think about. And how has been the response from their workforce uh, themselves? It's been really great because, you know, they've done a few things which are different, which is, you know, it's not mandatory training or anything of that sort. You know, people are expected to do it, but it's reinforced 
Uh, it's run by the business. The people agenda is co-owned by the business. That makes a lot of difference. And they've sort of really said that, you know, it's bite-sized, it's in real time. They've done a lot of things which are there. Uh, people are creating content, uh, you know, which is uh, as they are going through their real day-to-day -day work. So, you know, what normally happens is that you, a lot of people believe that if you've given the employees access to tons of content, then that should pretty much take care of the reskilling. It never happens like that. Right. You know, you have to contextualize it. I think that's the big shift that I see them having made. Talentwise is brought to you by KnowledgeBridge. We produce customized and multilingual visual training content. We have worked on complex processes, products, and skills development for large blue chip brands such as Tata Motors, Mahindra First Choice, Homelane, Epson, Toyota, Citibank, and Consul Neowatt, serving diverse industries. Talk to us for your next custom content requirement and be pleasantly surprised. Call us on 9902163132. Wonderful. Thank you, Avijit, for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, I'll be able to get you back uh, in the next season. I hope that you are going to invite me back. I'm going to count on that, you know, and hopefully by then I will have my next book ready and we can talk about that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All the best. Thank you so very much for having me here. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next week, another exciting new chat with Arun Muttukumar, CEO and co-founder, Link Street. For any business, I guess customer is the most important thing. And and today, customer experience uh, is the big buzzword, CX as they call it. You know, the question of, uh, you know, why should a customer walk into a store if they can go buy things online? The reason they come in is because the sales associate in the store can really help them make an informed decision, make them understand what are all the different options that are available which option is the most relevant and applicable to them so that at the end of the day, after buying the product, they're extremely happy and are likely to come and buy again or refer to other customers. So that means the need is that the salesperson, unlike earlier days, he's no more somebody who just picks the size and color or does the billing. But the expectation is that the sales person is more of a consultant and an advisor. To satisfy the customer, the salesperson has to be their advisor slash trusted sort of a consultant. And and for that person to reach that level of uh, knowledge and uh, to provide that level of customer service, you, you know, there's crazy amount of training that is required. And particularly if you're talking about soft skills, it has to be drilled over and over again over a period of time. Clearly, one day, two day training is not going to be sufficient. Even, uh, you know, something like not knowing, uh, say, the return and exchange process can either mess up and become costly for the company or can re result in a very angry, upset customer. These are all very critical things that every employee absolutely has to know and follow. So they understand and eventually learn and master both the soft skill aspects and the hard skills like product knowledge and uh, process related things. Thank you for being with us today on TalentWise. We hope we helped you focus on some actionable ideas today. It was certainly enlightening for us. We hope to see you again on our next episode. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from and give us a rating while you're at it. 
थैंक यू इन एडवांस इस शो हाउ टू ओरिजिनल पॉडकास्ट इज प्रोड्यूस्ड फॉर नॉलेज ब्रिज द मल्टीलिंगुअल विजुअल ट्रेनिंग प्लेटफॉर्म एंड कस्टम ट्रेनिंग कॉन्टेंट क्रिएटर्स बाय शो हाउ टू ऑडियो होस्टेड बाय शुभांजन सरकार एंड प्रोड्यूस्ड बाय राजीव आदित्य सी यू नेक्स्ट टाइम